We've been digging into Romans for a bunch of weeks now, and it's been a blessing to be able to do that with you. Um, We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 9 today. Romans 8, verse 9. But since you are in the—but you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of, of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to be put back, to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, in fact, if in fact we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week we talked about uh, the flesh and the spirit. If you weren't with us, but I need to introduce these two simple terms. Uh, Paul divides the world into these two things. There's flesh, which is what we're made out of and and the way that we look at things uh, from an earthly perspective, from a human perspective. And then he says, then there's spirit. And spirit is when we begin to see that there's something more than simply what we can see and what we can feel and what we can touch. And so Paul wants to know, are we predominantly flesh or are we predominantly spirit? And he settles this by saying this in Romans 8. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. Since the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So what he says is, if you're a Christian, if you're a person who follows Jesus, and one of the things we always want to say is, if you're in this room, we don't assume that you believe all this stuff, but we're really glad you're here, and we're really glad you're curious. If you're, but, but Paul is speaking specifically to people who have been following Jesus for some time, and he says, hey, 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 your spirit, you have a body, but fundamentally you are Spirit, And so know that there is this tension between these two realities, flesh and spirit. And you get there, the way that we become spirit, the way that we become, realize that our ident- identity is first that we are in the spirit of God, the spirit of God indwells in us, is that Jesus offers himself for us. Jesus loves us so much that he does what we need in order that we might be joined to him. This is where we got to over this last chapter and a half, is that Jesus does all the work that we need to know God and to hear from God. But the question then Paul wants to ask is this. If we are spirit, what does that mean? What kind of spirit do we have? What is it to be the spirit of God? And so here's what he says at the end of this reading in, chapter, in verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. There's two kinds of spirits, and there's two kinds of things going on. And so I have to make a—in order to explain this, I have to make a confession to you. Uh, And the confession is this. uh, I have spent a good part of the last month watching a show called House of Cards, which from this spot right here I cannot recommend to you. It is bad, so don't watch it. 
But if you have watched it, which like apparently half of America has, there is a character who is the president. His name is Frank Underwood. Um, his, yeah, he's just, he's one of those people that honestly I watched the show so I can root against him. Like I kind of hope that everything falls apart in his life because you just really don't enjoy him and you really don't like him. And Frank lives by a credo. He lives his life by a very important way of speaking and it, or a way of thinking, and it is this. Frank's standard operating procedure is that he will accept nothing less than absolute obedience from everyone around him, and he will not be loyal in return. He expects everybody to obey, and in return, he will do whatever advantages him at any time, at any moment, for any reason. That's slavery. You obey me, but I don't care. You do what I want, and in return, I also do what I want. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about a spirit of slavery, when Paul is talking about this. He doesn't have the idea that people can be owned. He simply is dealing with these people who are working themselves out of debts because slavery in a Roman context, slavery in this time, would not have been people who were captured and moved. They would simply have been people who sold themselves off because they couldn't pay off their debts, and so now they were working for somebody else in order to pay off the debt, and they were doing whatever they want. A spirit of slavery, when Paul is saying this, is a spirit that says that we are owned by something, and it doesn't owe us anything in return. I think sometimes when we think about God, we think that God treats us with a spirit of slavery, that God made us, And so God sort of has us, and God can control us, and God says, hey, I need you to obey. You need to honor your father and your mother, which when you were little, your mom and dad got you really close and said, that means you do whatever we say. Listen, you know what I mean? I'm not totally sure that that's the full explanation of honor your father and your mother. I think it has more to do with how you live your life and how you reflect who they are in yourself. But then we go, but God wants this too. God wants you to listen, and he's just going to make a list, and you're going to do it. And in return, you have to, we we use these words, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, which is only nice when things are going well, but when things aren't going well, you're like, that sounds terrible. Some of you are walking in today and you're like, if God controls everything, I don't want to know that God right now because I'm so frustrated with something that's happening in my life and I don't understand. We have this idea that God made us and he has power This is a pretty natural way of thinking. But Paul wants to change our minds. Paul wants you to stop thinking of God as your owner and to start thinking of God in another way. But you have received a spirit of what? Of adoption. A spirit of adoption. And what does adoption mean? He says what you already know to be true. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, here's the thing. For the most part, you have a pretty good idea of whose children you are. It's, it's from time to time, somebody is not sure about that, and I totally understand that. But for the most part, as a society, and when Paul is writing this, he's not thinking like, you guys don't really know who was your parent, and it really was God. 
You know, it was like secret, you were born like Jesus. There was mom and there was something else, and whoa. You know, God is not thinking that about you. He's not looking across, or Paul's not looking across a room or writing to a whole group of people in Romans and saying, hey, this is how you were born. But he says this, that you are a child of God, and the way you become a child of God is through adoption. And he wants you to know this, that God believes this. You see, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And when he did, he said, I want you to pray like this. Say, Dad. Say, Abba. Abba was that sort of familiar greeting you would say to a parent you love, Daddy. Daddy, I want you to hear about my day. I want you to hear what's going on. When we cry, Abba, we confess that we believe that God is our Father. And in order for God to become our Father, we have to go through adoption. Now, adoption is a complicated thing in the U.S. It costs a lot of money. You have to figure out how to get everything done. It has a lot of hoops, and it's kind of an amazing thing that we have to go through because we have to deal with all of the realities of what's happening. But adoption in a Roman culture was very complicated and had some important implications. You see, there were two steps to adoption. The first step was that your parent or whoever represented your actual, you know, your biological parent had to go with you to the courts. And they would do this thing where you would, they would bring money and they would bring some scales and symbolically they would have some, they would have some money, they would be handed some money um, that, they were, that they were given and it was like they were selling their child. And then they would buy them back. And then they would sell them again and they would buy them back. And then the third time they would sell them, they would not buy them back. And that was the way that they symbolized that, um, that this was no longer their kid. They were making a formal way of showing this is not my child anymore, whether it was a parent or a grandparent or a kin, kin, kinman, uh, a family member of some sort. Uh, these people would be going through this. But then, but then the adoptive father would show up into the scene. And they would do a ceremony called vindicatio. The adopting father would go to the judge, one of the Roman, Roman um, leaders, and presented a legal case of transference. So they would make an argument in front of everybody, this is my child. When all this was completed, the adoption was complete. But Paul wants you to know not just how much work it would take to adopt somebody, but he also wants you to know what it meant. You see, there were four consequences of adoption in Roman culture. One, the adopted person lost all his rights in his old family. All of them. They were no longer the child of that person, but they gained all the rights of a child in the new family. They became a legitimate heir in the most binding legal way. They got a, or they, they got a new father. Second, it, they became heir to the father's estate. Even if other sons are born afterwards, they take their place in the order of succession at the time of their adoption of being able to inherit what the father has. Third, in law, here's a big deal, in law, the old life of that child, of that person, was stripped away. It was not spoken of. It was not talked about. Legally, it wasn't, it didn't even exist. That child was reborn on that day and a new life started. And fourth, in the eyes of the law, he was absolutely the son of the new father. Over and over again, 
they would do these things. They would, they would go through this ceremony to be able to transfer people. And when it was done, it was shown as a way of the Father saying, you are mine no matter what. I don't think Paul is, is accidentally bringing this idea out. He wants them to know exactly what it means that, they are, that this is his child. And so he says this. This is why Paul adds, if we are if, bearing witness to the Spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. He wants them to know this. That if you're thinking there's some sort of like, God has Jesus, and that's really his kid, and then we're like the other kids. Paul doesn't want you to be confused. In the same way that he makes Jesus his child, in the same way that he makes these believers from on, from old times, from years ago, from generations ago, from centuries ago, his children, he makes you his child as well. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And don't miss this, because every child knows this to be true. What is my father's will be mine someday. What belongs to my father, whatever my father has, will be mine someday. That's what children know, and they know it with all clarity. You know, I know what I'm going to inherit. I have a pretty good idea of this. I can go to Moorhead, and I can walk into my dad's shop, and I can say, I will inherit these lifts and this big building, and yay, unless he sells it between now and then. You know what I mean? But if, if, if there was going to be an inheritance, that's what it would be. It's not complicated. I have a pretty good idea of that, unless he has a secret plan, which he says he doesn't. I asked him. I was like, hey, I'm not going to find something out that day. I don't want to know. But I know what my inheritance will be. Because whatever my dad has will be passed on to myself and my sister. That's the reality of it. But I don't want you to miss the power of this. You are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. Whatever your father has will be yours someday. Whatever your father has will be yours. God loves you so much, he wants to give you everything he has. Everything he's ever had. What will you inherit? The Holy Spirit? The Spirit that comes upon us, not just at the end, but also in the reality of right now. And we we inherit the fruit of that Spirit as well. What Paul describes as love and joy and peace and patience and so on. He also says this, Do you see what Jesus has? It's life, eternal life after death. That's for you too. It's not just for my son. It's for all of my children, my sons and my daughters. And whatever heaven looks like, that's for you as well. Now the question is, how do we know what it's like to live with inheritance? Well, I encourage you to look at your older brother, Jesus who experiences this life and who shares this life, he says, guess what? Everything I have is my father someday, and it turns out, or everything my father has will be mine someday, and it turns out that's everything. Like, it doesn't narrow it down. It stresses him out less. He doesn't get jealous of other people because of what they have or what they're going, or what they're dealing with. He doesn't look at them and say, hey, you know, I need this because you've got that, and I don't quite know how to divide these things together, and I don't know how to make this all work together. He doesn't look around and he says, how can we protect ourselves, and how can we make sure everything's going on? In fact, Jesus has this way of having dinner with people that nobody wants to hang out with, the people that Bob Goff calls the creepy people. 
The people that you kind of go, you look at them and you're like, I think I'm going to walk on the other side of the street. These are the people that Jesus hangs with most days. It's like they're, they're loud and they don't quite get it, but here I am. Jesus has this way of blessing people in a way that we can't imagine. He looks at people who are undeserving of everything and says, God loves you. You need to know this. God has a place for you. God has forgiveness and life and love for you. And if we're wondering what it looks like to live with this inheritance, it looks really simple. It looks like Jesus. You see, we know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of death as the end. This is what Paul writes in Romans 6. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. Never again will fear have the last word. Never again will hurt have the last word. That's the power of your inheritance. It's more powerful than the one thing that can overpower us. It says, no, you're mine. You have all you need and you don't need to be afraid. I don't know where you're at today, but the thing that I want to encourage you to hear is this. If you've been wondering how God feels about you, how God cares about you, what God thinks about you, it is this. You are his child, not in some ethereal way, not in some idea way, in the way that he looks at you in the same way that he looks at his own kid, in the way that you look at your own kids. My child, my beloved, and you don't need to be afraid because I will give you everything you need. So fear not. Live with this God. Be loved by this God and pour that love into those who are around you. For that, we say thanks be to God. In fact, that's not how I end sermons here. Let's pray together. Um, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you do amazing things. But the most amazing is this. You look right at us and you say, I, I don't really care. You're mine. And I'm going to do anything I can to claim you and show you that you are my child. We're so thankful you've adopted us. And you've reminded us that you love us and that you will never let us go. So we pray all of these things in your son's name. And all God's people said, amen.